Are you ready to bring your real estate game to the next level? My name is James Prendamano. I'm the CEO and founder of Pre-Real. And over the past 25 years, I've closed over a billion dollars in transactional real estate. Each week, I'm meeting with outstanding investors, high-performing individuals, and visionaries operating in the real estate space. These are the people that are actually out there in the real estate game right now getting it done. This podcast aims at bringing anyone's game to the next level. This is the Pre-Real Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Pre-Real Podcast. So we've got uh, a lot of value coming at you today. We're joined by a special guest, Bill Hamm. Uh, Bill is the COO of Broadwell Property Group, and he's the founder of Real Estate Raw. Uh, He is a a no-nonsense, straight-shooting, multifamily guru, to be candid. And we're also joined by, you may recognize Rob Nixon. Uh, He joined us in a previous episode. He is the Deal Ninja, super-valued, top producer year after year, member of the team, uh, and a heck of an investor in his own right in the, the medical and commercial space. So uh, first, Bill, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Always always a treat to deliver value. And Rob, uh, thanks for taking the time to join us as well. Um, if you could just give the audience in, in a, a few minutes or less a little bit about the background. I know you were a pilot before and, and how you landed where you are today. Yeah, no pun intended, right? Uh, I uh, I was, uh, as you said, I was a pilot by trade, um, flying, came out of school, college, started flying airplanes, uh, went through the 9-11 uh, debacle, kind of wound up being a flight instructor longer than I meant to. Long story, became a corporate pilot, flew for a few years, uh, realized I was a bad employee. So that was kind of my first aha moment was, was uh, you know, it's not that I really hated the job. It's just having a job hated me. I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't a good employee. So um, realized the important people actually were sitting behind me, you know, and a pilot's real important from takeoff to landing and then you're not worth much on the, on the ground. So uh, that, you know, flying the airplanes was fun being told when to do it, where to do it, how to do it and how long to do it. Yeah. Not so much fun. So studied real estate for about a year. Uh, just rich dad poured out all the crap we all read, right? Went through all that stuff. And my very first deal was a duplex. Um, I'd saved up about $10,000. Duplex was cash flowing uh, a couple hundred bucks, 300 bucks a month. And I uh, walked away from the aviation career uh, with the duplex and said, I'm going to figure this out. So, um, you know, now, now, fair carve out there. I was 28 years old at the time, you know, no debt, no, no family, no kids, none of that stuff. So I figured, ah, screw it. Worst case scenario, I'll just go get another job if I mess this up. And I got into flipping houses and small properties. And then just over time, worked my way up into multifamily, small multifamily, 10, 20 units, larger and larger until I got up into large commercial assets. And that's what I do now is uh, syndicate, own and operate larger apartment complexes. And I'm also the COO of Broadwell Property Group, which is my partner, Tony Morgan and I. Uh, And that's what I do. There's a bunch of us that are, are ready to go and, and we're looking to take that next step. Uh, where do you start? Like, where do you where do you start pulling it together? Yeah, first first thing is education. It's it's always going to be my answer to almost every question. It starts with the education. You know, the, the, as I tell everybody, the, the only real estate deal you ever have to worry about closing is the six inches between your ears. You can close that deal. The rest of them don't matter. If you can't close that deal, the rest of them don't matter, right? So it's really starting about your mentality, 
your thought process and your education. And the education will lead to confidence. And the education is, is almost your crutch to get to experience. You know, so if you're trying to transition into a larger asset class, you're probably going to be doing it with other people's money. You're going to be looking for investors. You're going to be looking for partners. You're going to be leveraging someone's capital. And that person is going to look at you and say, are you the right person? If you don't have a tremendous amount of experience, you had better have the education. You know, the education leads to the experience and everybody kind of feels like they have to have this big resume or nobody's going to take it seriously. That's not true. People will give you a shot and they will give you a break and they'll try out, you know, your first deal and things like that. But not if you sound like an idiot, not if you sound like you don't know what you're talking about. So so take care of the, the cheap stuff first. Get a book, 20 bucks, you know, then listen to some podcasts, Google, whatever. And then maybe you want to kind of start investing in a higher level of education, you know, so start off cheap, do all the cheap stuff, spend your hustle before you spend your dollars. Then you might want to start looking at maybe a higher level, you know, someone that can help you uh, move forward in the business and learn, you know, and, and it's, that's kind of the progression. Um, and then look at deals. You just got to look at a lot. I can tell everybody right here, the only two things you ever need to know about real estate Know the values in your area. Look at more deals than anybody else. So if you know what a good deal is and you look at a lot of deals, you're good. If you know what a good deal is, you never look at any, you're wasting your time. If you look at all the deals in the world, but you have no idea what you're looking at, you're wasting your time. So you got to really focus on that education and, and really learn what is a good deal? How do we find them? How do we work with realtors? How do we work with sellers? How do we do all these things to identify a good deal? It's obviously a lot easier said than done. And then you've got to rinse and repeat that process on a, on a regular basis. So real short answer would be start with your education and then just get out there and start looking at deals. Just It's free to look. It's free to analyze. It's free to do the math. You know, do that. What is a good deal to bill? Is it the cash on cash return? Is it the net dollars at the end of the day? What, what is it that that constitutes a good deal for you? Yeah, again, broad answer. A good deal is, in my personal definition, a good deal is something that costs you more, that, that produces more money than it costs you to own, basically. You know, all right. So that kind of starts to break it down and say, well, what's a good deal? When somebody asks me that, I if, if they're asking generally, what is a good deal? I answer with a question, well, what is your cost of capital? So we got to look at like, what does your money cost? You know, if you own the money, then it's cheap. If you're going to a bank and getting 80%, well, then cost of 80% is the interest rate. Well, where's this other 20% coming from? Is that investors? Is it your money? You got to look at, you know, what all the money costs. If you're syndicating, it's about 80% with the interest rate, the other 20% is whatever your investors want. So I would say in that regard, a good deal is a deal that produces enough return to feed my investors the returns they want and have enough left over for me to be worth the, the effort, return on effort. So that's kind of the answer there is a good deal. Is, is it pay for itself? And, and does it cover the people that are gonna help you get into the deal? And if it covers all those things and it's in a, a decent location and you can get a decent loan, I'd, I'd say that's a good deal, you know? Um, I will now start going a little off track to the question. Yeah, it's not about cash flow. it's equity. If we wanna have that old let's have cash flow equity conversation, you have to have both. First of all, I think when anybody starts arguing that, you know, appreciation is nice to have. I buy for cash flow or no, I buy for appreciation. I don't worry about cash. Flow. You're both wrong. You're all crazy. Look, if you don't have cash flow, you're not going to stay in business. You got to have cash flow to take care of all the bad days and the things at the break and the things you didn't see coming. It covers all the bumps in the road. And if you don't have appreciation, you've never tried to exit a deal before. 
Anybody that tells you that they're not worried about appreciation is not somebody that's been full cycle on an asset. Because if you try to refinance a deal that has gone down in value, good luck to you. Give me a call. Let me know how that goes for you. You try and sell something that's gone down in value again. Good luck to you. Valuation and the appreciation has everything to do with the exit strategy. You must have both. We're at a point in the market, and and I'll I'll stop at a certain point, and I want you to finish it, then I'll share my thoughts. We're at a point in the market where what? What do you see happening next in in the multifamily space? Big shift. Big shift. I I don't want to use the word crash because I'm not quite sure I'm, I'm feeling a crash. Correction, absolutely, yes. Um, I, I think a lot of things in this, we could spend another hour just sort of answering that one question of what do I think is about to happen. But short answer is I, I think that we have a debt service ratio problem yep. in the world. I, I think that um, a lot of people are going to become distressed sellers if they got short term loans. The loan comes due. They did not get the revenue up to where it needs to be for them to get the price they want to get. I think that's going to be a problem. And that's what I always tell everybody. That's the greatest thing about multifamily is like, hey, if you go and buy a property this afternoon and you go get a five or a seven year mortgage and the values crash tomorrow, you know what? Just don't sell. Who cares? What policies do you see or what creative financing do you see is going to enter the market over the next however long you think it's going to be? Yeah, I I think we're going to go from the flipper market, speculator market into an operator market where operations will be rewarded far more than they have been over the last three to five years, Uh, where flipping and the quick cash and the 18 month hold and you made a few million bucks for no good reason kind of market is going to cool off and we're going to see who can really operate. Uh, that's kind of what I see first answer. Second answer, yeah, I think seller financing and lease options are going to be the hallmark of, of creative financing. Uh, you're going to see a lot of lease options with people that uh, or sellers that got long-term debt. They did go out, get the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, but now they're into a 10-year mortgage and they've got massive prepayment penalties, defeasance, yield maintenance. They can't exit mm-hmm. without paying off this giant loan and they need someone to assume the mortgage but you don't really want to assume the mortgage because you know the loan assumption is going to be bad or the property's not in good shape, whatever. Lease option, master lease option is going to be that. That's, you know, in a nutshell, you're going to go and rent that property with the right to buy it someday in the future at a set price. And then hopefully you bring the, the operations and the valuation up. I've done a lot of those. Uh, and then if, if someone has full equity, they actually own the some equity in the property, you'll be looking at seller financing um, with that one. Uh, outside of that, and those are the two positive ones that I come up with. The third one, always got to throw in a negative one because that's me, but uh, equity right now. I think you're going to see some LPs lose some money. I think you're going to see some investors get some of their investment money written down. Yeah. Those are the three things I think you're going to see. Two, two creative financing in one, so people are going to lose some cash. In the multifamily space, where, where do you start if you want to be in the right position to take advantage of what's coming around the corner? Yeah, I would say that really probably depends on what size asset we're talking about. If we're under 50 units, I always kind of split the world in 50 units and above and 50 units and below. If we're below 50 units, you're better off trying to go directly to owners. You're better off trying to set up direct mail, contact, voiceless, ringless uh, voicemail, you know, text, 
email, whatever these kids are doing today, right? You know, no, uh, get out and do some direct uh, contact campaigns for under 50 units. Start tracking those people. Uh, that's kind of building relationships with sellers. Uh, if you're 50 units and above, it's really about building relationships with realtors. You can try the lender thing. Yeah. They're likely to not really talk to you, not on the higher level. They're going to just refer you to back to a realtor. They're just they're, they, that doesn't work as well as the gurus tell you that it does. You know, this whole contact the bank that word, where that came from was back in 08. And, and I, I had I used to teach that and we used to do that back in 08 where you could actually call up asset managers yeah, back yeah. in that foreclosure crisis. And, yeah, asset managers would actually talk to you and basically sell you property right off the bank's ledger. They largely, largely, largely got away from all that and almost never do that anymore. So I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm saying it's highly improbable. You're going to pick up the phone, strike up a relationship with a lender and go picking up deals from them, unless it's more of like a private lender. If it's any kind of bank or institutional lender, realtors are the way to go. Now, the realtors are the ones that they get these properties in receivership. They're the ones that the bank calls up and says, hey, come over and give me uh, your opinion on value, this kind of stuff. So that's where I would start really working on is relationships with, with realtors over 50 units go directly to owners under 50 units. Uh, those are the two things that I would say. Third, if you can track the data, this is a little bit higher level, but you would need something like CoStar or some other ability. But if you can track loan maturity in the market, I think that's right. going to be killer data. If you can sit there and watch people's loans maturing and go, all right, I see, you know, one, two, three main street looks like they got about 18 months left. You know, this one over here, yeah, they're about two years and you start a, a track of, of loan maturities in your market. You're, you're, you're building yourself a motivated sellers list. And, and that's what I would recommend everybody do. When identifying uh, other markets, what are some of the things you look for, or are you just investing in your backyard? Well, no, I invest wherever a deal makes sense. Um, I would say short answer would be population growth. That's probably always your number one answer is, is go where the people are moving. So if you're in a state that in, in Census Bureau, by the way, is one of the, the best quick places to get the data. But look at your, your general population. I think census came out, what, 2021? So it's not that old. But if your state had level or negative population growth, be careful because you're probably going to have stagnant rent. Because if, if you're not having population growth, you're going to have a supply and demand problem. And yeah, you might look out the front door right now and go, gosh, the rents went up, but they won't for forever if your population is flat or negative. And that's there's a lot of sort of the northeastern corridors from Chicago to New York kind of either lost, ran flat or kind of held in population, but didn't incline much. So I would be looking for population growth. First comment. Second comment yeah, there is the politics. There is. But, um, you know, I, again, we could go into a, a long conversation about this, but I think that regardless of whether a state or a city is landlord or tenant friendly, I think the politics are going to move in the direction of New York on all older buildings. You are going to see politicians and cities get liberal. I don't care where you live in the middle of Dallas, Texas. I don't care. You're going to see politicians get liberal when it comes to older buildings, the conditions that those tenants are living in, and your responsibility to that building. They're, the city's going to come after you. The, you know, the, the, they're going to look at you and they're going to say, you need to maintain that building. And that's exactly what they're doing to you all in New York. They're saying, hey, you need to maintain the building. And you're, you're looking around going, yeah, but I can't get the revenue high enough, the rent's high enough to justify the repairs that need to be done. That is a valid argument, just not to code enforcement because they don't care. That's not their department. 
And that's where I think that even in a landlord friendly city, you're not going to get a, a slumlord free card. You don't get to come down to Atlanta or to some other, you know, uh, you know a landlord centric area and mistreat tenants and run a property into the ground and think that that city is not going to come after you for it. That's New York. That's L.A. That's anywhere. So be careful with that. Don't think you're going to be a slumlord and that's going to be free. On those older buildings that you were referencing, just to go back to them for a minute. Is that a no-go for you now? Are you staying away from older buildings? I, I am, yeah. For for exactly the same reasons you and I are talking about is is I think they're gonna they're gonna be too expensive to repair. The prices are too high, so you've got a cost basis problem. I think the governments, local and you know uh, out of state, are all going to move liberal towards protecting tenants and protecting the the people living in those buildings, which is, I'm not arguing a bad thing at all. I'm just saying, I think that's what's going to occur. And I think the financial model is going to be what you've come to realize in New York. There's no money in that. I mean, there's just no money in this. The building's old. I got to replace all the plumbing. I got to replace all the roofs. I got to pay this price. And then I got the city that says I can only do this and I can only raise rent. It's exactly what's going to happen in New York. You're going to see the value collapse. There's just no point in it. Just don't buy the real estate. Just don't. Just go go play golf. Go do something else. Go buy in some other state. You know, let the market speak. This is a free country. You don't like the price, don't pay it. So could you spend a few minutes talking about real estate, Raw? Um, I, I think that it's a great place for folks to consider starting. Uh, I went and I, I, I logged on. I took a, a couple of the classes there. You've got a real different approach, a real neat approach. Can you can you talk to the audience about what that's about Absolutely. there? Yep. So um, realestateraw.com is is the website and that uh, is sort of my education branch. Um, I've been teaching through different programs for about 10 years or so. I've had hundreds of students. So realestateraw.com is sort of the education branch. If you know you want to get more information on some of the programs we have, you can go there. Um, yeah. And, and that is really just me uh, working with people individually, helping them build out their businesses. So if, if you're new to the business or you're looking to get in and you need some guidance, that's what that is. You know, that's, that's handholding and teaching you how to build a business from my 17 years of experience working with me directly. Um, I have two books, uh, one also called Real Estate Raw. That's on Amazon. And the other one, Creative Cash, that is one that brought out about uh, two years ago or so. And that is on creative financing. So uh, Real Estate Raw, the book is How to Build a Portfolio. Creative Cash is the book on how to get that portfolio funded using uh, creative financing. And then Real Estate Raw, the website, uh, you know, come over there and check us out. Yeah, I've, I've helped a lot of people get into the business. And, uh, you know, I always tell everybody, you're, you're going to learn one way or the other. You're going you're gonna to pay for the, You're going to pay for an education one way or the other, either through me or out on the street. Or, you know, you're going to hire somebody. You're going to learn on the street. Fine yeah. with me either way, but you will pay. It's just where and how much. <laughs> Without a doubt. So before I let you go, Bill. Um, if you could spend a minute or two talking about scale, I, I know that you uh, own yeah. and operate or still own and operate a management company uh, for the assets. So uh, a minute or two on scale sure. and at what point and how important is it to self-manage and have that company set up? Um, I always tell everybody, I think you should manage and then not manage and then manage again. Right. So I think you should manage in the beginning when you have a small portfolio few houses, couple duplexes and stuff like that to learn. But without scale, without economy of scale, you're going to start wearing a lot of hats. 
And you, what's going to happen is you're going to get in the weeds of building a management company. And yes, that will be money that you collect every month. It's W-2 money, all that. But it is going to come at an opportunity cost that may slow down the asset purchasing. So that's where I say, I think you should jump in there and manage for a little while to learn. And then I think you should outsource to third party until you have probably at least a couple hundred units in a, in a city. And then when you can hire some bench talent, you come back in and take in the in-house. Now you're bring, you've got enough money and enough economy of scale. You can actually hire some folks know what they're doing. I did not do that. I took none of that advice, none of that. Started with a duplex, managed my way all the way up. And it was great. I really learned a lot. But I saw a lot of other people close a lot of other deals in the same amount of time. It, it slowed me down. So it's good and it's bad. I, I, it is not for everybody. It is not free money. That's the one thing I want everybody to take away with. Don't think you're just going to go lateral, open up a management company, out of being mailbox money. No, 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 no. That is brain damage money. That's hard job. That's hard work. Be very conscious oh, yeah. into that business before you do it. Uh, you know, it's great. It's good, but it's not easy. Yeah. So look, some tremendous insight and information today, Bill. I love the the straight on approach. Um, you say a lot of things that other folks dance around and they don't come quite, you know, square and say. And I think in real estate where the stakes are as high as they are, you need that that kind of candid, straightforward, direct approach. So you can get hurt. You can get, get hurt out here. Yeah, yeah, you, you can. It's not as easy as everybody is making it look on on social media now. And and there are some really difficult um, stories in 2008. We sold hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in defaulted notes. Yeah. And there were some good folks on the other side of those notes and some not so good folks. Right. You know, depending on who and where. Yeah. Uh, but just be careful out there, folks. Make sure you're choosing your syndicators wisely. So LPGP, right? Like, has that been the model that you've used? You know, have you pretty traditional? Not when I first got started. I did my first 402 units with only creative financing, lease options, seller financing, line of credit, credit card, you know, what the hell ever. But uh, then after that, yeah, I got into GPLP syndicated model. Yeah, and that's what I do. So, so now that you're, you've done this for years, you've owned a lot of different stuff, right? So what's your opinion on scale from the standpoint of, hey, would you rather, you know, I don't know, you know, which, which one of your partners you do steady deals with, you know, are you in the, you know, in the mindset of, you know what, should we just own some stuff ourselves, you know, and not raise money? Or is it the opposite? I want to scale on a much larger level and raise it all. I'm curious what. Yeah, I, I I hear you. I would uh, I kind of look at it like the diamond model, right? So I'm I'm starting off and I'm I'm going to syndicate and use everybody's money that I can, build up that equity, and then pay off and have a small portfolio. As I'm saying, so I'm going to go wide and then narrow. So a uh, hundred units with a mortgage or ten units free and clear, about the same equity, about the same cash flow. Yeah, but to get the ten units free and clear you might've needed to syndicate the hundred, you know what I mean? So yeah, I'm, I'm going out as wide and big as I can to get as many assets appreciating as possible so that when I have those exits, I can eventually, to your point, burn off the, the partners and the LPs and all that crap. And then have that equity. That's a longer term business model. That, that takes some years to pull that off, but yeah, that's the idea. I'm 46, so I'm figuring about halfway through. So, you know, why not? Okay. And then last question. Yeah. Minimum investment size. Do you 
You know, like I know some guys that are like, don't get anything under a hundred thousand or under two fifty. Like it. then I have the opposite guys that are like, no, do the, the, you know, take everything. Like what's your opinion on that? I mean, okay. I think the, the bigger dollars are better. If you, if you, that's irrelevant comment, basically what both of those comments are irrelevant until you stop and look at your own database and say, can I take that advice? You should only raise money for millionaires. Yeah, sure. I agree. Do you, you got some millionaires laying around? Go, go ahead. If you don't, that's a bullshit comment, isn't it? So it really has to do with you looking at your, your own network and saying, can I take that advice? Yes, I agree. Get a million dollars out of every individual. You'll, you'll have big fish and it'll be awesome and all that kind of good stuff. That might not be functional comment for you to really accept. So you, you got to kind of apply it where you can apply it. Um, our minimum is usually about 50,000 to get in, depending on the size deal, depending on how much the raise is, depending on what we're doing, I might bump that up to a hundred, but that's if it's a big deal. And I feel like I've really got the, the Rolodex to bring those folks in. You know, if you're out uh, what I call millionaire panhandling, right. If you're out spare 50 grand, spare hundred grand, spare 50 grand, you know, you're, you're out panhandling for a million bucks. You're going to take what you can get. Yep. And if you're about two weeks before closing and you're out, you hadn't raised your money and your earnest money's on the line, you're going to you damn sure take everything. <laughs> right. So this was okay. those are nice this was, comments, but yeah, I don't know how effective they really are. You know, those, yeah. this is really good stuff. Definitely give Bill a shot. Go check out the site. Uh, Bill Ham, Broadwell Property Group and Real Estate Raw. Bill, I really appreciate the time today, man. This hey, is good pleasure. stuff. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks, Bill. As always, everyone out there, please stay safe.